because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy and your love. And we thank you again for drawing us here to this place. And, God, we just, uh, we just appreciate Larry and, and love Larry for the songs that he presented for us, Lord, today. And it's a breath of fresh air to us, to, to a church who's in desperate need of music ministry, Lord. We, we, I just present that before you now, that, God, you would provide for us in that way. Send somebody, Lord, to lead us in music. Uh, and, and Father, we just pray that tonight the words that are spoken through me would not be of myself, they would be of you, that you would get me far out of the way, that God, you would teach us how to love at all costs, no matter the sacrifice. Help us tonight, Lord, to receive your truth. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So this brings me to my very first point. We'll start off uh, with this question, what is love? It's kind of a question that many people have been trying to figure out for a long time. But looking here again at verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So here in verse 11, we also need to kind of ask ourselves this question as Christians, how are we to love one another? The command to love is nothing new anyways. It, it's something that we actually discussed in depth in chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 11. And I'll read that for you just shortly here. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the message of love that these early Christians have heard from the beginning of their Christian lives did not actually start just there. It's an old commandment, right? So God speaking through, uh, through the author Moses writes in Leviticus 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 18, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This message of love took on a whole new um, fresh and, and, and new form when Jesus stepped into the scene. And in John 15, 13, many of you know this verse, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The message of love, of love is essentially 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This sacrificial, long-suffering, forgiving, strategic, intentional, bold, obedient, painful, God-pleasing, Christ-exalting, and Holy Spirit-powered love is what we're called to walk in. And Lord, I need a whole lot of help in that area. Amen? Do you guys need help in that area tonight? I know I do. And it's gorgeous how John gives us an antithesis of this love. Uh, and and that's a, it's an extraordinary and kind of polar opposite example of love that John gives us to help the truth really sink into the hearts uh, uh, and the minds of his readers, of, of us today even. And we find this in the next word, verse. Uh, so look with me at verse 12, at the murderous form of hatred that we commit in our hearts when we fail to love as he first loved us. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
Y'all know the story of Cain and Abel, right? It's kind of a tale as old as time. We see it in Genesis chapter 4. Abel's offering that he brings before the Lord was accepted, and Cain's offering that he brought before the Lord was rejected. Abel tended the flock, he tended the sheep, and what did Cain do? He tended the ground, he tilled the ground. Uh, And they each brought an offering from, from the work that they had done. In the story, Cain refused to repent, but instead in anger at God and in jealousy to his brother... What did he do? He rose up and he killed Abel. God warned Cain. He gave him a chance after his offering was rejected to listen. Uh, after his offering was rejected, listen to what God says to Cain. In, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And I'm reading out of the NASB. Uh, then, then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and he killed him. And so do y'all see that though, right? Like listen to what God's kind of saying to him. He says, if you do well, Cain, your countenance will be lifted up. God's saying, if you're obedient to me, Cain, won't you be happy and loving and not full of wrath and indignation? God warns him to repent. He says this hatred in your heart is going to consume you if you do not master it. It's crouching at your door like a roaring lion and it seeks to devour you and destroy everyone else around you. The sin, uh, this sin desired Cain and sin desires us as well. It desires us like a dog desires its own vomit, like a pig desires the mud. Desires us like a fly desires dung. Anger and jealousy and wrath and malice and greed. All this sin desires to pollute us and to make us sick. We must master it, right? We must master sin, but, but that's easier said than done. How do we master sin, right? How, how do we do that? Anybody in here got ma- sin mastered yet? But there's a way. Only by love can we master sin. You might look at me and scratch your head and say, what are you talking about? You're out there in left field. But it's only by love can we master sin. So it's when we experience the love of the Father displayed in the love of uh, and obedience of Christ on the cross. When we repent from our sins and are sealed by the loving Holy Spirit of God. When we put on righteousness, uh, it's when, when then we put on righteousness, we walk in obedience and we learn how to love. It's only when we have experienced genuine salvation that we have actually mastered sin. Not that we're sinless or perfect, right? We'll we'll still um, battle in our flesh and our spirit. There's a great war that's going on, right? Until the day that we are glorified in heaven. But essentially, it's got no hold on us. We're not a slave to to, to sin anymore, amen? What are we, a slave to God, right? We're a slave to Christ. Bondservants to Christ. Because Christ is victorious over sin and death and the resurrection from the grave. It's not that we ourselves have mastered sin. It's not because of anything that we have done, but it's because of everything that Christ did. Amen? It's the, it, it's the love of Christ crucified for sinners. The love of the Father to give His only begotten Son to die for sinners. The love of the Holy Spirit that draws sinners to the glorious Son and Savior sealing us unto salvation. What great love is that? Have you experienced that great love in this room today? Have you? Let somebody know about it. It's that love displayed through us towards our brothers and sisters that defines us as children of God, right? 
bought and paid for, adopted into the family uh, by the blood of Christ. We are king's kids. We're children of the Most High. We're ambassadors of Christ, co-heirs, princes and princesses, children of God, lovers of the brethren, vessels of honor and people of peace. Amen. Y'all are sleeping out there tonight. This is verse 10. You know, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And it's also verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The fruit of the Spirit, listen up, guys. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. Say it with me. Kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So I bid you all here in this room tonight, if the Holy Spirit truly dwells in us, let us not be like Cain and hate our brothers. We must walk in the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. Let us be obedient to God and love towards our brothers and sisters and watch our countenance be lifted up, right? When we're filled with the love of God and we share that love of God with others around us, man, we can't but be happy, right? We should run and scream and shout and clap and be happy and people should be able to see it. What a beautiful sacrifice that we can make, that we can crucify our flesh and put on love today. You might say to me, that's too hard, brother. That's too hard, pastor. I have much against my brother and my sister. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they've said about me. That's, That's way too hard. And I say this, that sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. Christian, remember who mastered sin. That's the promise we can stick in our pocket today, right? We can put that sucker right in there and pull that joker out. And remember that next time when our brother sins against us, that we can, we can say, I know who mastered sin and I don't have to retaliate or react in my flesh. I can react or retaliate in the fruits of the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Remember who mastered sin. Remember who lives in you. It's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If you truly are saved. You must master sin. We must live in love. This brings me to my second point. The first point was what is love? And the second point, be obedient no matter the cost. So look at verse 12 through 13 as we continue just to kind of step through this. Not as Cain, again, I'll say this again. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And then in verse 13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. I could keep going, but I would never have time. And after last week, I owe it to you guys to kind of keep it short, I think. But uh, I I wanted, I had actually mapped this out, and I'll just go off on a rabbit trail real quick. But I had mapped this out all the way to verse 15. But as I started reading 14 and 15, I was like, that's a sermon all in itself. And man, I would hate to to short that thing and not do it the justice that it deserves. So we're just going to keep going with 12 and 13. Um, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. So Abel practiced obedience to God and Cain did not. And ultimately it cost Abel his life at the hands of his wicked brother. So what made Abel's deeds righteous over Cain's? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. Let's do a quick survey, a real quick survey through the Old Testament. Find out the reason why Abel's deeds were righteous over Cain's. So if you have your thumb in Genesis chapter 4, I invite you guys to go ahead and turn back there. 
And I'll go ahead and start. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Again, she, who is Eve, gave birth to uh, his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstling of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So reading the story without any understanding of the Bible or God, many people would probably see God in this situation. In this case, as arbitrary or, or cruel, unjust, mean, a bully, right? They might ask the question, why was God unpleased with Cain's offering? Didn't Cain do the best that he could? I mean, didn't he try hard? Cain did not do the best that he could. That's, that, that, that's the answer. He tried to approach God and make an offering to God that was outside of what God demanded. We see it over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, the bloody scriptures. The only way to be right with God was through sacrifice, right? So in the Old Testament, what did they offer? They offered sheep, goats, bulls, sometimes turtle doves. They all, all without blemish. Blood offering, blood sacrifice, fat offering. In the New Testament, what's the offering? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is sinless, blemish, blemishless. I don't know how you would say that. Free of blemish, uh, sinless son of God. So there's no other way except through a blood sacrifice to be made right with God. There's no other way to approach God but through that avenue. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 12. It's the next book over. And let's do some, a little bit of exegesis, a little bit of cross-reference work here uh, with you from these verses here. Exodus chapter 12, we'll be looking at the Passover when it's instituted. Uh, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Speak to the congregations of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households. A lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to uh, what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Exodus 12, jump down to verse 12 and 13. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beasts. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So do you see the similarities sort of between the two texts? Abel, a keeper of the sheep, what did he bring? He brought of the firstlings of his flock as an offering before the Lord. He brought the very best that he had. And in Exodus for the Passover, God declared that the lamb or the goat used was to be without blemish, a male and a year old, right? The very best of the flock. The blood then was applied to the doorposts of the entrance and, and it covered them. It, it atoned for them in a sense. And the Lord would not allow the destroyer to enter into the house and to strike them. 
It was by this sacrifice of a lamb that God was pleased with Israel and showed mercy. And it is by this sacrifice that God was pleased with Abel over Cain. Do you see the similarities? And you might say, wait just one second. Hold up, hold up. Genesis comes before Exodus, and I don't see anywhere in the scriptures there where it tells them to to offer this goat, to offer this sheep. I don't see anywhere in the scriptures that it actually says that. And like I said, Genesis comes way before Exodus, so come on now. That's true. You don't see solid instructions. You don't see that in in those chapters on, on what they're supposed to offer. But I do want to point out one thing. What did Abel and Cain have? They had parents, okay? They had parents, and, and who are their parents? In Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve, right? So Adam is created, and out of Adam comes Eve, out of his rib, right? God sets them in the garden. He says, you can eat of anything, but you can't eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and of evil. So one day they're sitting there, and the serpent comes along, and what does Eve do? She's come, she's, she's tricked, and she eats of the fruit. She gives some to Adam, and they eat, and sin comes into the world, and they look down, and they say, oh, I'm naked, right? They realize they're naked. So they go, and they get these fig leaves, and they cover up some leotards or whatever it is that they made, and they cover their naked selves up. What was God's response? God come wondering, and he said, Adam, where are you? Adam was hiding. Adam, who told you that you were naked? Adam, why are you hiding? Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of that fruit that I gave you? He says, it was the woman that you gave me. It's her fault, Lord. <laughs> I try that all the time. It don't work. It still didn't work then. It ain't going to work now, you know. But yeah, that was, uh, that was God's response. But I also want to show you a different way that God responded. God responded in mercy And he responded in justice. And I'll repeat this here in a second, but it's important that you should get this. That Adam and Eve rightfully should have died right away. The moment that they sinned against God. Sin cannot stand in their presence. So God had to make a, and God had to make a way for them uh, looking towards the cross. But God had to make a way. And, and he responds in mercy and justice. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it reads this. Also for Adam and for his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Clothed them. Why is that important? You might say, so what? God clothed them. God put some clothes on them. Who cares? Why is that important? So what? And, and I hope that you're paying attention. Some of you guys may have already checked out. But if you've seen this, there's so many animals that are dying and covering and dying and covering. What's all this got to do with anything? So do you notice that the way that Adam and Eve attempted to cover themselves was not sufficient? Right? They covered. They, they sinned and they... By their own means and their own words, they went and they got these fig leaves and they made their little coverings or whatever. And what did God do? He replaced them. It wasn't sufficient to cover for their sins, in a sense. It wasn't sufficient to cover their naked bodies. It wasn't good enough. Their own efforts would not cut it. And like I said, they should have died the very day that they sinned against God. But in His justice, in God's justice and in His mercy... God sacrificed an innocent animal. He killed an innocent animal and covered their naked and now sinful bodies with the skins. An animal had to die. It never said what animal we was getting it from, but we could probably assume that it was a lamb. That's my own eisegesis. That's my own adding into that. So I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. I'm sure as the grass is green that Adam and Eve told their children the story of the day that God showed them mercy. 
Just as so much as I am willing to stand here today and, and, and tell you about the, the day that God showed me mercy. Just as much as Larry is willing to do the same thing and tell the story of the day that God showed him mercy and Rick and Derek and, and everybody else is willing to tell of the day that God showed them mercy. I'm sure that Adam and Eve was willing to show their sons Cain and Abel of the day that God showed them mercy and did not rightfully kill them, but instead killed an animal to cover their bodies. How else did we get the story? And really, this is the gospel. Do you see it? It's pointing to the cross. But in the same thing, the, the same thing had to happen for us to be saved. Somebody had to die. And not just anybody, but the perfect son of God. Jesus Christ came into this world, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless, perfect, 100% perfect life. He was a, the blemishless, the, the, the perfect, without spot or blemish, son of God, the, the Passover lamb. He died on the cross for our sins. After three days, he, he, he went and stayed in, a, in a, a borrowed tomb. And after three days, he rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's coming back. It's the picture of the gospel. What God did was he killed an innocent animal to cover Adam and Eve's sins. He killed an innocent son to cover for all of our sins. Amen? That's the picture of the gospel. Way back in Genesis chapter 3. It's a story as old as time. God had a plan, right? Do you get it? Jesus is the lamb without blemish. The necessary sacrifice for our sins. It's only through this sacrifice that we can come to God and be counted worthy. That's it. There's no other way, guys. The Passover lamb, the righteous sacrifice of Abel, and the skins that covered Adam and Eve were all just a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that was to come, and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ is the answer to how we are able to and how we should love our brothers and our sisters. And I'll point you right back to verse 16 again. In 1 John, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus Christ is the appropriate sacrifice that we offer in obedience to God. It's the only way. Jesus Christ is the reason that we will be hated. Jesus is the answer for all things, right? So moving on, let's look at verse 13 and pick this thing apart. Uh, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. The example of this is again found in the story of Cain and Abel. And I really like how John just kind of uh, used this story, this illustration to teach his his readers and and teach us today. And it's a perfect illustration for us. Um, Abel was slaughtered for his obedience to God's command, as I had said. and, And he was slaughtered for his righteous deeds. It's in this short verse, in verse 13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you, that John is actually, uh, the Apostle John is firing back at these false teachers who hated Christians for their obedience to God. They actually, these false teachers actually called John a false teacher, saying that he was adding weights to the back of these believers for saying that you had to live a holy life, for saying that you had to be obedient, for saying these things. He was saying that he was false. That's what these um, early starts of this um, Gnosticism False believers, false teachers were saying. And in fact, they were proving that they were of the devil, the children of the devil, as we saw in verse 10. And the same is true today, guys. So take cheer, okay? The world is going to hate us for our obedience to God. The world will. When we stand against LGBTQ, when we stand against critical race theory, when we stand against other forms of Marxism, the world is going to hate us. Don't be so surprised, guys. When we stand against the other countless thousands and millions of religions, 
And we, and we say that Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, the life. And there's nobody can come to the Father except through Him. There's one way. Straight is the way and narrow is the gate. We're going to be hated. When we proclaim that the only sacrifice acceptable to God unto salvation is Jesus, guess what? We're going to be hated by the world. We shouldn't be hated by each other. So don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world wants to kill you. Don't be surprised if the world wants to silence you if you're doing it for righteous reasons. Don't be surprised if you don't fit in for preaching against the devil and preaching the gospel, guys. Don't be surprised. It's nothing new to us, right? Don't be surprised if we don't fit in. I want to encourage you guys with this today. We are pilgrims, right? We are sojourners. We are aliens. We're foreigners. We're just passing through this world. It don't belong to us anyways. They can have it if they want to. We're going to get a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to get a... a, a, a the, the God of the universe is going to be reigning on the throne forever. There's going to be no need for the sun or for a lamp or for anything. There's going to be no more tears, heartaches, uh, sin, brokenness, disabilities, anything. But just eternal um, glory, eternal worship in heaven with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. They can have the world if you want. I ain't going to be here anyways. We don't belong here. This is not our home. We ought not to fit into this world. John 15, 18 through 21 says this. If the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it's hated you. Amen. Take comfort in that, guys, okay? You hate me because you hate Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Oh man, for the glorious name of Jesus were persecuted because they do not know the one who sent me. And here in a minute, we'll get into it. But as Americans, we don't know persecution. Guys, we have brothers and we have sisters who are being persecuted by deadly means in other countries, right? Chased down and hunted. Persecuted. Beaten, whipped, chained, imprisoned. Ain't none of us have resisted to one drop of bloodshed, right? Really, we're, we're pretty spoiled in this place in America. But I want you to take comfort because we're not going to fit into this world. I want you to take comfort in these words from Jesus Christ himself today. The ones that I have just read to you in John 15. They persecuted Jesus to death. And I want you to also think about Stephen, right? The first martyr. Am I correct by saying that? Yeah, Stephen, the first martyr who, who was stoned even by the apostle Paul, who was then called Saul. And, and, and as he's getting, he, he preached the word of God. He was standing against uh, the, the Jews. He was, he was standing against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he preached the whole counsel of the word of God. And, and what happened? He got stoned. And what was the very last words that he had said? Forgive them. They know what they do. He pretty much mimicked Jesus' words, right? And then you think about uh, the apostle Paul. Man, he went through some stuff. In 2 Corinthians is where it's at, right? Where he, where he says, man, I went through perils on the sea and perils on land. 39, 39 lashes minus one. How many times? Four or five. Four times? I mean, think about that. I heard John Piper kind of go on a rant about this one time, and I won't try to do it justice, but they would literally lay your flesh open 39 times. They whip you until your flesh lays open. He got it four times. 
Now think about that. How long was he doing ministry for? I don't know. You add up the years. But it was a short period of time. His wounds were probably just getting healed. And he's going back and getting the same licks again. 39 more times. They heal up just a little bit more. Probably not as good this time. There's probably some open wounds. And he's getting another beating. Wow. 39 more whips. One more time for good measure. Let's make sure he gets it. We'll make up for all the minus ones by all the 39 that we give him, right? Paul went through some stuff. He said, besides that, I have this great weight of the churches on my shoulders too, right? He went through some stuff. And we think about my favorite guy, uh, one of my favorite guys, William Tyndale. The father of the English language, the the father of the the English Bible who translated from Greek and from Hebrew, who translated most of, of the Bible this man, he, he, he declared in a, in a dispute with a Catholic clergyman one time, he had said this statement here. It is my life's mission, in a sound paraphrase, it's my life's mission that a plowboy should know more of the scriptures than you do. These clergymen are supposed to be educated. They have the Latin Vulgate, like they're somebody because they know this language and everybody else doesn't. And so William Tyndale says, you know what, I'm taking that off the table, I'm translating the Bible into English, and this plowboy is going to know more than you do, you religious Pharisee. And what did he do? He was the first smuggler, man. He was our homeboy. And what did he do? He translated the Bible into English, stuck it, the New Testament, stuck the New Testaments in the bale of cotton, shipped them into England. And you know what he was looked at for that? Like a felon. He was looked at like a convict. He was looked at like a criminal for translating the Bible into English, guys. In a back alley, he was betrayed by a friend. Because he was a felon. He was a, he was a uh, what's the word? A fugitive on the run. He was, yeah, he was a wanted man. Somebody betrayed him in, in a back alley and they sent him back to Egypt. And what did he ask for while he was in prison? He says, I want nothing more than a coat, a lamp, and the Hebrew scripture so I can continue to keep doing what I'm doing. And then it was a lot like Paul, the keeper, the keeper's daughter, and everybody that came to him, he just kept converting them left and right. Like, let's go. I'm still doing mission work in prison. And then he gets led out to a stake. And what do they do? They strangle him. They lay gunpowder on him. They light him on fire. So he strangles to death, is burnt to death, and blown up to death all at the same time. For what? For being faithful to the gospel. For being obedient to God. For being obedient to Jesus Christ. He went through such a gruesome death. Come on. We need more heroes like that today. Hang on with me, guys. Lean in real close. I'm almost done. I'm closing now. Look with me again at verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, not of God, nor the one who does not love his brothers. Man, it's obvious, guys. Where do you stand? Do you love your brothers? Do you practice righteousness? Are you obedient to God? By practice, do you make it your daily devotion each and every day to get up and practice righteousness and be obedient to God? Or are you waking up every day to practice sin like a doctor practices medicine, to practice sin like a lawyer practices law? Is that your life's mission? Well, it's pretty evident right here is what it says. Who you are. We know very well, Christians, what our attitude towards each other ought to be, right? Shouldn't be like Cain's, correct? We shouldn't hate each other, have murderous thoughts and envy and strife towards each other. We know how we should behave towards outsiders as well. We ought to just take Stephen's little quote there at the end and Jesus' little quote at the end of their lives and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're persecuting Jesus and me, right? 
They're persecuting me because they persecuted him first. They hate me because they hated him first. Hold on to that. Put that in your pocket the next time that the world stands against you and be forgiving and be graceful to them. Think of the righteous deeds that have been uh, persecuted for the faith in which we stand. Much like William Tyndale's, much like Stevens and Paul's and countless other martyrs. I'm, if you guys ever get a chance to read the Fox's book, some Fox's book of martyrs, you ought to, and it, it'll change your life. So I ask you this question today. By which sacrifice are you approaching God? Are you much like Cain where you bring just whatever you want to God and say, let me into heaven, Lord? Are you just bringing the fruits of the ground? Or are you coming to God like Abel with the correct sacrifice, which we know that today is Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins and faith in Him. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. Not only of yourselves is a gift from God. Is that the sacrifice, the, the offering that we're approaching God with, asking, will you let me into heaven because I believe in your Son? Or are you trying to jump the fence through some other avenue? Straight is the way, narrow is the gate. I have that backwards. Narrow is the way, straight is the gate. Are you approaching in a righteous or an unrighteous offering? I invite you guys, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never believed in the name of Jesus Christ, if you've never been set free from sin, I want to warn you guys tonight that it is crouching at your door. Master it. Do not let it send you to hell. If you have hate in your heart towards a brother or a sister and you are a Christian in this room, Anybody, me, anybody. Sin is crouching at your door. Go make amends to them, okay? Go find them, hug their neck. Tell them, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I feel this way towards you. They may not even know how you feel. You just say, I'm sorry, man. Will you forgive me? I feel this way towards you. Don't let it, don't let it twist you up inside to the point where you're making foolish decisions and you're causing dissension and division in the church. Sin's crouching at your door. Go make amends. Crawl to Jesus and confess and confession and repentance and master sin. That's what I got for you guys tonight, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace. Thank you for your word. And God, we, I pray for this flock, for our congregation, God, that you would teach them how to love deeper and to sacrifice all the more. That, Father, you would place inside of them a, a courageous spirit, Lord, like that of Tyndale's, like that of Stephen's, like... That of Paul's, most importantly, it's that spirit of Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit that's already in him. And we know that, you know, Paul had wrote to Timothy that, that God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but what did he give you? A spirit of, of power, of, of self-control. That Lord, that the spirit that lives inside of us is powerful. Lord, help us to rise up on these promises this week and love deeper, to sacrifice more, to ask for forgiveness, to forgive to love our wives like, like, like Christ loves the church. To love our brothers and our sisters as, you know, since it is church, Christ's bride, that we would treat it with dignity and honor and not allow it to be blemished or defiled, God. Help us, Lord, this week. It's in Christ's name. Amen.